I'm going to be very candid with you. We are living in a computer program reality. Welcome everyone to Simulation Nation, your portal to all things virtual. I'm your host, Johnny Android, and I'm here to keep you informed about all that's happening in the metaverse. Record our episodes live at Allspace every week, and you can join us. Yes, you. It's free, and you don't need a headset. Just log into Allspace from your laptop and teleport in to offer your opinion, question, or whatever else. Today, we're talking about Pagan and Earth-centered spirituality and how they found themselves here in the most unearthly place of all the metaverse. Ladies and gentlemen, here to guide us through this most, most, most esoteric topic is Trey the Druid. Give it up for Trey. Hello, everyone. So, so happy to have you here. We got some, uh, maybe some druids or maybe some pagans here. We got Cheyenne Moon and uh, Esoteric Student, very cool sounding names. And we have Trey the Druid here, uh, which uh, we're very excited about. So uh, welcome to our stage, Trey. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. Absolutely. And so, of course, the first thing I said was, oh, I was expecting you to come into, in robes like a druid. And here you are in a very fancy uh, sort of, I don't know, gorilla style uh, vest and a tie, looking very nice. And of course, you said this is what Druids look like. So is that is that true? Is that the, the wardrobe for a modern day Druid? Yeah, well, I don't know about this exact wardrobe, but we're, we're just normal people, most of us. You know, there's not um, an order of Druids in the sense of the ancient sense where you have where people living in a monastic lifestyle and traveling around and studying all this stuff, that type of thing is really rare among pagans. Most of us have a day job. <laughs> right. Right. Part of the real world. Well, it's very interesting. And I love the juxtaposition between the ultra modern metaverse and the sort of ancient practices of the earth. So we're going to get into all of that stuff. Um, starting off, of course, uh, with the origin story. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about, uh, first of all, how you got involved in paganism and then how you brought that to Metaverse. Yeah, so I've been a pagan for about nine years. I'm also a Unitarian Universalist. Um, and I got involved with other pagan people through the UU church. If you're not familiar with the UU, it's basically the church of all religions. Everybody is there. Everybody's welcome. Everybody practices their own belief alongside everybody else. And the UU church has an organization called CUPS, it's the Covenant of UU Pagans. And that's how I really got involved with the community initially. And, of course, there's also... The community online, which is it's a whole global community, you know, of pagans. Um, so I was involved with them for a long time, still am. I'm still a member of CUPS. I'm also a member of the Order of Bards, Ovates, and Druids, and the British Druid Order. Um, OBAD, Order of Bards, Ovates, Druids, it's kind of, if you're not familiar with them, they're pretty much the largest druid order um the most of the membership you're going to find them in the uk and the us you'll see some of them in australia and new zealand and other parts of like the english speaking world but it's mostly people in the uk and the us british druid order is much smaller and it shares a common heritage with obad and 
I may be throwing a lot of information with you uh, at you, but there's a lot of different Druid orders. There's a lot of, just like any other religion, you know, there's a lot of different groups, little different interpretations on things. So I just happen to be a member of those two. <laughs> right. Um, how do you, how do you become a member? Do you meet them online? Do you go to uh, uh, public spaces and, and, and congregate or how do you become a member of those groups? If you want to be a member of an order, each one of them is going to have their own membership process. Most of the ones that are fairly large, like Obot and BDO, they're going to have an education piece that you, if you would like to be fully, you know, uh, complete all three grades and become an initiated druid, you have to complete their education course. Not all of them are like that. Some of them are more uh, service-oriented or come from a more Masonic background, and their focus is more on public service. So they'll be asking you to do service projects and stuff like that. Um, some of them are just, this is a group of Druids who are up in the mountains somewhere, or there's, a, there's several of them in Colorado and California, you know, and they are going to, basically, you have to know them in, practice your druidry with them so mm -hmm. so it really depends on if you're talking about orders what it takes to join an order for a lot of them it's pay the membership fee <laughs> it, it really right. just depends on which one you're trying to be a part of right. got it um i'm curious uh do you know the size of these groups like you you have the sort of the uu church which sounds quite large mm -hmm. but then you've got all these different sects but do you know offhand like how big are these groups i don't know offhand uh the uu church is only really in the united states there's a couple of them in europe but it's long history with that two denominations coming together they're universalists. Basically, there's a lot of people in the broader pagan community who are like myself, who are also Unitarian Universalists, because it's one of the few religious institutions that actually supports us and allows us to practice our religion openly and doesn't conflate us with, you know, worshiping the Christian devil, which we don't believe in anyway. So there's, it's, there's a lot of overlap in that. So I right. couldn't tell you how big the right. U church is. It's all over the country. And then, like I said, Obad and uh, BDO, they're in the UK and the US. Um, but there are others that are similar in size, uh, like the ADF. That's another Druid order that's pretty much in the UK and the US mainly. I would, I don't know how many... I would say more than a thousand, but I don't know how many people yeah. they have in their membership. Fair enough. Got it. Okay, cool. And then, uh, so then uh, you got into, uh, uh, you get into these groups and then how did you get involved in virtual reality and how did you decide to start your groups, Pagans in VR? Well, that, that's a lot easier question. So yeah. <laughs> I was a member of CUPS. Well, I still am a member of CUPS for years and years and years. And I used to do all the public rituals at uh, the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Fort Myers, Florida, when I lived there. And um, I took that experience of running a multi-faceted, multi-tradition group of pagans and decided I wanted to bring it into virtual reality because it was 
until the pandemic, nobody could go out, nobody could meet, couldn't do anything. My church was actually closed, the UU church, and across the country, a lot of them were closed and doing virtual only stuff. And you saw a lot of pagan people start to do things via like Zoom or things that they had done never done before online they started to do so that inspired me to kind of take the same idea of cups where it's this group of pagans from all different backgrounds and honestly we we do our stuff in a way that even if you're not pagan if you show up you won't feel weird it's pretty pretty open to everybody um and i just wanted to bring that same feeling of practicing in a circle and doing rituals and classes and so on in a place where we could all access it and do it safely during the pandemic and also to be a resource for pagan people because a lot of us live places where there aren't other pagans to be around to practice with to learn from even just to talk to so that's the point of why we do this is we support each other. And it in the year and a half that we've been doing it, um, it's grown quite significantly. And it's nice to see all these different people come together to put in what they know, to show us something. You know, we can all learn from each other or just to support each other. And sometimes that's the beautiful part about Pagans and VRs we all genuinely support each other. Right. Yeah, it's very interesting, it's cool. And it, by the way, if anyone had any thoughts or questions, use the raise hand option. Uh, Ray or uh, Ross Guide or Esoteric, if anyone had any thoughts or, or questions, use the raise hand option and we'd love to, to hear what you have to say. Okay, so then let's, let's just, for the, for, the, for the newbie, what is paganism? What is, what is what brings all of the different branches and sects together under one umbrella? <laughs> um, well, in short, basically discrimination. <laughs> We've all been equally maligned by uh, the dominant culture. Um, you know, Abrahamic religion, specifically Christianity, has taken a very dim view of us traditionally, not always, not currently for a lot of uh, different churches, but, you know, the dominant culture has associated us all with, you know, devil worship and all these things that we don't even believe in. Most of us, I shouldn't make broad statements, but in short, it's basically that. Um, and also, we all tend to share broadly the same ideas about the universe. We don't all express it the same way, uh, but we share similar ideas in that we're in a universe where we're all connected to each other. And some people might say it just like that. Some people might relate it more to a connectedness with nature and saying, we're from this planet, we're from nature. Or just the simple, some of us, you know, will speak about a connection to and how they're related to the universe. Some of us don't believe in gods at all, but rather see us as being inside of God. And, you know, we're all equally sacred in that. We're all a part of this same universe. So uh, it seems like all these disparate groups, because you have 
when you say pagan, the people who most often will identify with that descriptor are people who practice typically pre-Christian Indo-European magical traditions and reconstructionist pagan religions. Now you have people who practice African, uh, you know, hermetic paganism, that's Egyptian, or people who uh, will deal more with the Greek or, you know, so on that might also identify as pagan. You have people that just call them, consider themselves eclectic. They pull from different traditions. They might call themselves pagan. In short, pagan is kind of a word to describe all these different people that's mostly common in the English-speaking world. Okay, if you go to places in Asia where there are pagan people, like think Hindus, think, uh, you know, Shinto, some of these religions that are native to the places they're from, those folks aren't often going to call themselves pagan because their culture doesn't necessitate them needing to have to do that. In India, you can just say I'm a Hindu and everybody knows that you're a Hindu. But when you're a pagan in the United States or in the UK, where there's a lot fewer people like you, you tend to find your community. And that, that's kind of what has developed is that we have a broader community where I, as a Druid, am perfectly comfortable and used to gathering with Wiccans, voodoo practitioners, heathens, Norse pagans, Greco-Roman, Hermetic, you know, ceremonial magicians, all these, all these different things. And, and also, as a Druid, <laughs> you know, that's kind of our thing, too, is that we're pretty universalist. So... And I can explain what Druidry is for you, too, if you like. But just broadly speaking, paganism is that those pre-Christian, usually magical traditions uh, that you find in the English-speaking world. But it could technically be any religion, any belief system that is not Abrahamic. You could technically consider pagan because pagan people didn't call themselves pagans it was basically the Romans and the Catholic Church that ascribed that name to us. So we kind of have reclaimed it. Got it. Well, that's a, that's a very fascinating answer. I'm glad I, I asked that and you gave a great answer. Uh, before we do go into what Druidism is in, in that, we'll talk esoteric. A uh, student has something to add here. Yes, esoteric. Um, hi. Um, I'm interested, but you've just you've just said that you're going into what druidism and that is, and um, because the way you're describing it, the with the paganism, I'm a bit confused on what what pagan actually means in the word to describe the people, because you've just described a like a whole plethora of um, a broad range of. Um, <laughs> So the original meaning, the original meaning means the country people or the sun worshipers, people of the country, basically because when Christianity, you know, the Roman Empire was spreading Christianity throughout all of its territories, the people who were last to convert were the people in the country. This, you know, as they share culture, you know, culture tends to be shared quicker in more urban 
metropolitan environments, those people converted away from the old religion faster than the folks did that were out in the country. And that was kind of the, the lay word that they used to describe those people in the country that still practice all the old religion. So that's kind of why there's such a blurry meaning. All these religions that we're talking about, Druidry, Wicca, heathenism, and so on, they all have roots in an older practice. Even the ones like Wicca that are a 20th century reconstruction of religion and, and so Druidry, anyways, uh, they still have their roots in a much older system of beliefs. Um, okay, great. Before we go on, we got one more from Archangel here. How's it going, uh, Metatron? Hey there. Um, I don't know if this was already stated before or if you were uh, describing it in a different way than, than, uh, than it was done in history, um, but paganism was the uh, worship of a particular deity or particular person that had died, they worshiped that particular spirit as a group and it was outside of the norm. That was traditional paganism. So for instance, if we, um, if my culture had a particular person that we said, this is a holy person, this is a person that we admire, this is a person that, uh, you know, uh, we all gather together and, and as a group, we agree that this person is a good spirit. When they pass or when they die, um, their spirit guides that particular people group. That was traditional paganism. Um, to be specific, uh, worshiping Jesus is technically, uh, well, actually not technically, it's point blank paganism. It is ad, it is taking a particular person and worshiping the person instead of the functional universe. The traditional concept of God was the universe. Uh, it was never a particular spirit or ghost or anything that you know that you worshipped as far as uh, you know a spirit was concerned. It was the functional universe. The functional universe is a living universe, and that was the norm religion. Anything outside of that. Um, family members, for instance, a lot of cultures did, you know, family member worship, uh, ancestral worship. Sometimes people would worship their kings, um, pharaohs, lots of other different people were worshipped and admired as a, as a holy spirit. But the traditional sense of paganism was anything that was outside of worshipping the functional universe as a whole. Um, and I just wanted to make sure that there was a correction there to understand that because a lot of people forget that part or don't really understand historically that that's how this was done. Yep, he's completely correct. So that's what I mean when I'm talking about that was kind of the common word that was used for all those other folks. And ancestor worship, just like how he mentioned, is also a big part of a lot of the religions and beliefs and practices of people who today identify as pagan. You know, just like how I said earlier, a lot of these have roots and things that are much older. Think of the pyramids at Giza. Think of Stonehenge. Think of the Aztec and Mayan 
monoliths, all these old monuments, a lot of them were graveyards or they were a burial place for kings or an important family or whatever. It, it kind of, uh, this is how religion kind of develops organically is you start there and it builds outward. So what he's saying is exactly correct. All of those ancient monuments, they have their roots in that. And there's a lot of so, pagan people today, I'm included in that, that believe that the gods were actually at one time living people and are our ancestors in a literal sense. But not every pagan agrees with me on that. That's my that's my personal belief. Right. Well, I'm curious, because then it's like, okay, so let's say Elon Musk gets us to Mars someday and the Martians decide to revere Elon Muskism as their new religion. Would that be a pagan religion, even though he is more futuristic leading and less earth leaning? Is uh, uh, <laughs> do you know what I'm getting at here? Like how much of how much of paganism has to do with earth centered uh, spirituality, and how much of it just has to do with being outside of the Christian norm? Well, again, remember the word paganism came from basically Christians referring to everybody else by that that moniker. So for a lot of us, it is earth centered. And the idea is earth is representation of our whole universe. So your audio cut a little bit while you were saying that to me, but I think you're asking me like if Martians introduced a religion, would that be paganism? I guess it would be dependent on who you ask. Okay. Well, let's ask Archangel. He has to he have, to have an opinion. Then we'll move on. I promise. <laughs> Did you have something to add, Archangel? Um, the, to answer that, I would say yes. I mean, point blank, yes. I mean, uh, there there's a there was a movie that I was watching a long time ago, and I I can't remember the name of it, and I'm not gonna try to recall the storyline. But there was one part that is well, I found very interesting. Um. So a person from planet Earth uh, migrated to another planet, and they found that that planet uh, worshipped a particular deity, uh, you know, a particular ruler that was the ruler of that particular planet. And they had a debate which one was, you know, more godly, that person that ruled that planet or the one that came from the original planet where they, they, they moved to. And the dialogue was hilarious because they, they were using the word God and gods and pagan, and they were literally using all of the words correctly. But it was just the exchange I found funny because you have to think, I mean, we have trillions upon trillions of galaxies. Every single galaxy is going to have some kind of planet where there's some kind of, you know, person of worship that, that they have on that planet. So spirituality is, is universal is essentially what I'm saying. It's not just isolated to one planet or one concept. It's a universal concept. And I just found that that, that movie specifically kind of encapsulated that thought that religion is truly a universal concept and not just isolated to us. Yeah, I agree with him again. Uh, just you're going to see a lot of people. He kind of mentioned it a little bit. A lot of people that 
consider themselves spiritual are also usually in some way pagan adjacent or involved in the community because basically paganism, a lot of different pagan traditions are purposefully um, a lot freer than the organized religion that most of us would be familiar with growing up or in our culture. The, the idea is this, it's more like a free spirituality. Right. It's and, an open grab bag of anything other than the hierarchical main religion that's, you know, happens to be yes. the center of the culture at the moment. Got it. Yeah, yes. Got it. We're, we're under this huge umbrella because we're all other basically. <laughs> got it. Um, all right. So then let's get into some specific others. Like Druidism. Okay. Maybe you could <laughs> tell us a little bit about that one. That one had, definitely has a historical precedent in, I guess, in England, right? And Stonehenge was done, they think, by the Druids. So maybe you all over all over that. Europe, all over Europe. Yeah. So, so Druidry, in a modern sense, is a reconstructed religion, reconstructed in the 20th century, based on Celtic spirituality. The original Druids were a group of uh, priests and priestesses. They were men and women who were basically the religious spiritual class of the Celts. We know most of what we know about them based on what Romans wrote down about them because the Celts did not have a written language. They were an oral tradition. They had bards whose job was basically to preserve the myths and to know uh, the lineage of kings and be able to retell all that. So they were basically the keepers of all the history. And when the Romans came in and took over, one of the first things they did was wipe those people out <laughs> uh, or wipe the Druids out. Bards remained through into the medieval period because they still had that whole thing about remembering the lineage of kings. And that was really important for the kings, no matter what religion they believed in. Uh, so the original Druids, most of what we know, like I said, comes from the Romans. We know that they were revered. We know that they traveled around and studied different places. That's kind of where the whole staff thing comes from. They would walk around to different centers. And yeah, that guy had the staff anyway. Oh, this <laughs> is a classicist's idea of what the Druids looked like the white robes and the staves and everything. We don't know that they looked like that. We don't know that they wore a specific color. We don't know. None of that was ever written down. They never wrote any of it down. We have, like I said, some disparate information from the Romans, some of which is perhaps erroneous. You know, they were saying, we do know that there was a bit of human sacrifice that went on in this part of the world. We don't know how much or to what extent the Romans said, you know, we were building giant burning men and filling them with living people and setting it on fire, stuff like that, which may or may not be correct. We don't right. know. The only thing we evidence we've seen of it is in Roman writing. Uh, but we know that the Druids were also uh, advisors to kings. The Romans write, wrote pretty clearly that uh, if there was a battle going on, the Druids could walk into the middle of the battlefield and stop the battle. So obviously these folks were pretty well respected in their culture. Um, Druidry as it exists today has a completely different lineage that uh, is basically 
it survived because of the Masonic Brotherhood. And that also contributes to some of the stereotypes. Exhibit A of old white men in robes walking around in the woods. Uh, a lot of the stories were preserved by the Masonic Brotherhood. A lot of uh, the most famous classicist, Iola Morgan Wieg, is the person that basically wrote down the compendium of all our stories. And some of it is, again, pretty erroneous because he may have had a romantic touch on all of that. Um, but he was kind of the first person to really put it all down and out there. And and a lot of folks in his time that identified as Druids, they were Masons or they were members of clubs that were similar to the Masons. They were like a rotary club, basically, and they called themselves Druids. And what they did was more public service oriented. They were charity groups, like a rotary club, like I mentioned. So that is why a lot of it survived. They kept all that. That, And you have to keep in mind that only men were allowed to be Masons. So that's why you have the stereotype of Druids being men, because for a couple hundred years, the people that openly referred to themselves as Druids were all men. And it had nothing to do with Celtic spirituality per se. <laughs> um, in the 20th century, <laughs> you have a group of folks who were studying um, Enochian magic and Abrahamic magic and so on, and they were called the Golden Dawn. And there were several groups of people or several people in that group that later branched off to found the different modern traditions in modern paganism, like Aleister Crowley. You may have heard of him before. He founded Thelema, right? Um, Druidry has the same background in that sense. Uh, the founder of what became Obad, he came out of that. And that was kind of a spiritual awakening on this and bringing it back toward the craft, the magical craft and the Celtic spirituality. So because of all of this today, when you ask a person what who identifies as a Druid, you ask them, what is Druidry? They might give you a lot of different answers because Druidry is all of these things. You could believe in gods, you could not believe in gods. You could you could view Druidry as a philosophy more than a religion. So there are some Druids who are simply, you would think of them as like a pantheist, somebody who believes nature is sacred and that you know we're all connected in the universe. Um, and then there's people like me who practice Druidry that is very much about studying the myths of the Celtic people and worshiping their gods, my gods. Um, not every Druid is going to tell you that. Some of there's actually people who are Christian and Druid, because again, it can be a philosophy or a religion. So it's all of these things. And Druidry of the modern traditions, we kind of have the most universalist view of the world. I think, because there's a lot of diversity in our own silo, you know, just Druids. And, you know, there's a lot of that in the broader pagan community, but even just Druids, there's all this difference of belief and whatnot. So you can go into a room full of Druids and ask them the same question. And you're going to get a different answer from everybody. 
But for a lot of us, it is Celtic inspired at the very least. Got it. Interesting. Okay. Cool. Um, Esoteric, if you had any other questions there, uh, let us know. I know your, your hand was up. Uh, it looks like it's back up. So let's see what Esoteric has. Maybe a question or a thought here. I, I was just, I was, well, firstly, I'd like to know at what point was your kind of like, was your moment of like, right, this is my lane, you know, when you, you woke up to it? Um, and um, might be wrong, but uh, where I live, I, I live around some of this <laughs> just by location. Um, what about earth magic? Like, um, you know, with nature and uh, and and the aspects of of Uridri, pagan uh, traditions in that sense, please. So earth magic is a big part of my practice as a druid. For a lot of us, we uh, follow the wheel of the year, which is a pan-pagan description of our calendar of the year. There's eight major holidays. It's the solstices, the equinoxes, and the midpoints between them, basically. There's a holiday on all those times. Um, druids tend to use the welsh words to describe them because that's a language that comes from our tradition there's words that are in wicca and other parts of paganism that are more anglo-saxon or just the general word we all know that this this holiday has this name um but getting back to what i'm saying earth magic is a huge part of it so like i mentioned earlier there's this prevalent belief that everything is connected and a lot of that goes back to the time at which this particular system of religion uh, sprang up and became what it is. People were living really close to the land and kind of hand to mouth. So a lot of the wheel of the year holidays that I mentioned, they are traditionally times where things would be planted or crops would be harvested or animals would be slaughtered or also be eating. Uh, you know, all these, they're trackers of time so that we know, hey, we need to do this at this time so that way we can make it through the winter. Because remember, Druidry comes mostly from Europe, so there is winter there, so we have to think about these sort of things. Where that starts to come into this connectedness is also acknowledging that in order for us to live and to make it, the land has to make it too. And there's, when it go into the whole idea of ancestor worship, the ancestors go back to the land when they're done. And there's a prevalent belief that they go to the stars because the stars was our tracking of time. We didn't have clocks. We didn't have a calendar like we do. It was just the sun, the moon, and the stars. So those things are what we need to be successful and to thrive. And that's when you see those things start to be associated with different gods. Uh, a lot of the different, you know, pantheons, I'll say loosely, because the Celt there's no real Celtic pantheon. There's thousands of gods, but loosely, all these different pantheons, even outside of Celtica, they tend to have a sun god or goddess. Usually it's a god because after a certain point, 
that started to be associated with gods and not goddesses. And you see uh, typically three moon goddesses for the phases of the moon. And that, you know, you have a earth goddess. Typically you have a god or goddess of the ocean of, you know, in, in uh, Celtica, we have three realms, the land, sea, and the sky. So you have god of the land, god of the sea, and god of the sun. So all these things are intertwined. And I know this is getting to be a complicated and a long answer, and I apologize for that. But that's where the the belief of everything in the universe being intertwined and being uh, sacred comes from. Basically, this is a time when we had to think this way to survive and you see the religions develop to reflect that over time too. That, that I, I personally think that's kind of a beautiful thing about paganism is that we've seen it develop to match uh, the, the lifestyle and the survival of people. So even in ancient times, so I can give you an example and the, ancient Egyptian mythology, okay, there was a time when Set, he's the god of the hunt, was the most uh, revered, the most worshipped god. And this was before humans had set down and created what we know today as civilizations and stayed in one place and started farming and doing all that stuff. So they hunted and they gathered to survive. So it makes sense that the god of hunting would be most important right well after they settled down and started farming and you know learned irrigation and all that jazz set became much less important and osiris became the more important god he was the god of the nile river which we needed to get plants to grow get crops to grow and isis his uh consort also became more important than her equivalent to set which was hathor who was a goddess of livestock you know beasts so she kind of remained more important than set because they started raising livestock but in the myth set kills osiris isis brings him back to life it's a whole thing so what basically what i'm getting at is the whole culture moved around and these two gods became more important than the one that used to be the main, if you will, the main male god. So uh, you see that in all these different cultures. So I'm I'm gonna run on. This this paganism is complicated. <laughs> it's it's a reflection of people and the land that they're living on. Right. And so obviously what I'm waiting for is the god of the metaverse and the god of the microchip and the god of the of the eight bit graphic. Those guys are the ones that are important now if we head into the metaverse. Where are we gonna it's like that show American Gods by Neil Gaiman, where they the old gods mm -hmm. are defending off against the new gods. Well, we got a whole bunch of new gods we gotta invent. And you're the you're the man to do it, Trey. You can feel it. <laughs> You know, there's some of us who would attribute that to gods that already exist, though, too, you know, because this technology is a craft and there's plenty of gods of craftsmen and technology and so on. So, and I guess it depends on who you ask. And there are religions uh, developing in real time as well. And you may see that just like you're saying, there might become a god 
of the metaverse. Cool. Well, I want that guy to be a guest on this show. If you bump into him, let me know. <laughs> Um, all right, so we we talked. Uh, 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 well, we we only got past the first slide, but anyway, I don't have too many more. But we did. Ha I did have a little bit here. You you touched on Wicca, how it's been reinvented uh, for this modern age. This sort of falls under the umbrella of pagan. You, I I don't know. Did you want to go into a little bit about Wicca and, yeah. and how that's connected with Druid yep. or not at all? So a lot of people, when they think of Wicca, they think uh, all pagans are Wiccans for some reason all wiccans are pagans not all pagans are wiccans wicca is a specific specific tenet of witchcraft that developed during the 20th century it is a reconstruction religion um and most wiccans again insert gods here it could be all these different beliefs but typically wiccans tend to agree to the Wiccan read, which is, and it harm none, do what thou wilt. Uh, so basically that means I can do whatever I want magically as long as I'm not hurting anybody or in my life as long as I'm not hurting anybody. So that's a very specific belief that is attributed to Wicca. There are people that will identify themselves as witches who may be Wiccans, but not every witch is going to be a Wiccan. You following me? <laughs> Absolutely. I know, got it. And again, um, Wicca is one of those 20th century reconstructions, comes out of members of the Golden Dawn. This was their thing. They were focusing more on the witchcraft aspect of things. So basically, uh, there are Celtic witches as well. You know, so you have druids and you have witches. Druids practice witchcraft, but don't typically refer to themselves as witches. That's the way I can describe it is if you were to go to, you know, ancient, what is now the UK, you would see druids in the castle and the places where education is going on. And you would see witches in the home. A lot of the traditions that come, uh, that culminated in what we call witchcraft comes out of basically crafts and ways to make a living that specifically women were doing out of their homes. This is things like being herbalists, healing magic. We're talking being midwives and brewers. Brewers is also another big trade that women did. That's where you get the whole you know, the witch on the broom thing, because they would put a broom out to, to show that there's beer for sale. <laughs> so right. Wicca is a modern interpretation of witchcraft, basically. And they also happen to be, last time I checked, the largest group of modern pagans. If you go into a room of people in the 21st century that identify as pagans, uh, usually a majority of them are going to consider themselves Wiccans. They are, they were the first people to come out after 1951 when the witchcraft laws were repealed in the UK to come out and say, hey, we are witches and we're open about it. Uh, the, the British traditional witchcraft or Gardenarian Wiccans they were the first ones to do it, and they've carried the publicity ever since then. <laughs> Got it. 
Cool. Um, all right. Move, we'll move right along. Esoteric has one other thought or question here, and then we'll <laughs> just the next one. Just what? Yeah, just one. Just one last one. It, it might be a stupid question, but is there a difference between Wiccans and Wicca? Do, do you know what I mean? Like, like, is there? You know, um, there's Wicca, but there's. Is there a difference between? People that would call themselves consider themselves Wiccan to Wicca. A Wiccan is somebody who practices Wicca. It's like a and pagan Wicca, unless you mean Wicca pagan. with an E, which means whale male witch, which is kind of why the name didn't set in at first. There was some debate about whether they should even call themselves Wiccans. Wicca, Wiccan with an A, is specifically a woman witch, but now it refers to witches and Wiccans of all genders. So I hope that answers your question. <laughs> so I'm curious, you were talking a little bit about how you practiced uh, your um, sort of modernized version of paganism, and I'm just curious how you do that in the metaverse. And so I think uh, here is one of the events that you have, which is called DJ Trollbot's Blood Moon Dance Party at Stonehenge. Sounds like a, a great party. <laughs> I hope I get a VIP pass to that one. Um, how 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 do you? Is this how you practice with these events, or how do you um, eat in Congress? Well, this can certainly be part of it. Revelry is <laughs> definitely a big part of paganism, both ancient and modern, um, but. DJ Trollbot's full moon dance party usually happens right after we do a do full moon ritual. So uh, that can, this is basically the party afterward. <laughs> and it's usually a good time uh, because he, Trollbot has been, you know, beautiful. He's the person that's created all of our worlds that we use for rituals and classes and events. He's made it all four of us. For us, he knows how to do all these crazy things in Unity that I don't know how to do. And my co-facilitator, who usually is right here with me, CompuBear, she has helped, but he's the one that makes the worlds. So for us practicing paganism in virtual reality, what it usually looks like is we gather for the Wheel of the Year holidays. Those are the major eight ones. Uh, those are also called, by Wiccans, those are called Sabbaths. Think of Sabbath, like the Christians would say. Mm -hmm. uh, same root word. And then there are the less important times of the year that are also sacred to us. And those are typically the full moons and the new moons. So typically we'll get together and we'll practice. Um, the way we do our ritual is very open toward all the different paths. So typically we'll acknowledge the four directions. You. Can you guys hear them or is it just me that can't hear them? You can hear them. It's just me. I can't hear you for some reason. Can you hear me now? Now I can hear you. Yeah. I don't know what happened there. Okay. So typically when we get together to do a full moon, say we do all the things that would be recognizable to most modern pagans. We'll cast a circle, we'll call the directions, we'll call in our ancestors, and then we'll do an invocation of some sort for the folks who worship gods. And it's usually, insert 
got here, or we'll do it in a more universal sense, welcome your guides, and so on. And then typically we do a meditation, and then we do a working, which is to describe we're going to work magic, energy working. And a lot of people, you know, in the broader pagan community, I you know I'm in contact pretty regularly online with, you know, pagan people who are much older than myself, which is kind of common in the pagan community. We have a lot of folks that are older and we tend to skew older and toward women. <laughs> there tends to be more women than men. Um, and that's basically because of our history. We have a lot of overlap with first wave feminism. We have a lot of overlap in the gay community as well because of queer lib. So we tend to skew kind of those ways where if you're othered constantly, the others tend to all overlap. So um, we will usually do an energy working and it works, I think, so well in VR because we have a phrase that is common in paganism to describe when we've casted a circle, which if you don't know what that is, that's when we put a magical ring of protection around ourselves before we practice a ritual, before we, some people do it before they pray. It's just for the purpose of protection, right? So, um, where am I going with this? Sorry, I lost my train of thought here. Oh, so we have a phrase that we use, we say, after we cast a circle, we're in a place that is not a place in a time that is without time. And you hear it in all different traditions, you know, people say that. And basically it means that when you're in a magical circle, you are working magic, you're between the worlds, our world and the next. You're doing something mystical, basically. And I think that when we are all together in a virtual place, we are quite literally in a place that is not a place and in a time that's without time. It's a different time where all of us are right now. Some of us are, I'm in the US, some of us are in the UK and all around the world. It's, it is without time. So I, I think that, that uh, what a lot of people might think would detract from our ability to do ritual, I think it actually adds to it because the moment we gather together, we have a web of people that are all over in different spots on the earth. Um, and a lot of our rituals involve personal growth, things that are, you know, encouraging you and your spirituality, whatever it may be, to grow as a person, to tune into those things that you connect with from tradition and allow you to maybe investigate a little further. So one of the main themes we talk a lot about is shadow work. And one of our members, Nia, she actually has a whole group uh, where they just discuss shadow work. And she has her own, you know, Discord and uh, page on Alt Space and the whole nine yards. I definitely recommend checking her out. Shadow work is basically this idea that you should deal with all of the parts of yourself as a person, both the parts that you don't like and the parts that you do like, and that you should be able to acknowledge and face yourself and basically work on your issues is the easiest way I can describe it. But it is from a spiritual vantage point. 
So a lot of times we'll do a meditation that's based on that or having to do with it's the wheel of the year holiday. We'll be touching on the themes of the holiday and bringing them to relevance for our modern uh, consumption, basically. So, you know, the most recent wheel of the year holiday we just had was the summer solstice, which in ancient times was really important because that was the longest day of the year. And we knew that after the summer solstice, the days are going to start to get shorter. That means eventually it's going to get colder and winter's going to come. It's a marking of time. So it's also a celebration of abundance, the height of summer. It's warm outside. We don't have to worry about freezing to death, that sort of thing. Bringing those themes back to a modern era, we don't really care what the weather is a lot of times because we live inside where there's air conditioning and there's heat. Um, so why is this relevant to us? Well, there's a lot of other things in our lives to celebrate being abundant. There's a lot of things that grow and grow within us. So a lot of these themes will be look more about what does this mean for you personally? So that's usually the inspiration for our ritual. And then after that, we, after we do meditation, do the working, whatever it is, then we close out. So if you're doing ritual, that's how it typically looks for us to practice our paganism. But we do things other than ritual as well. We do the next, like the next event on our calendar is pagan chat with, that's my event. It happens on Sunday nights and it's, kind of similar format where we have a room full of people and everybody's invited to weigh in and talk and share what they want to share based on the topic, or they can sit there quietly. If they don't want to talk, we don't make anybody talk because we're very focused on being open to neurodivergence. So we'll never point people out and tell them that they need to talk. Um, So we do that. Sometimes there's classes intermittently where somebody who's a part of Pagans in VR will teach something that they know. So most recently, CompuBear did a class on how to uh, raise children in a pagan home because she has like 14 kids because she was a foster mother for years and years and years. So she and she has kids that are all some of them are pagan, some of them aren't. You know, so she shared a lot of great wisdom with us on that. Um, and then you have Trollbot's event. That's more for fun. That's for celebrating after ritual. Sometimes Teresa does her group, ghost stories, fairy tale, folklore. It is basically people around the campfire telling stories. <laughs> and she's a pagan, so a lot of those stories are from paganism or paganism inspired, or they talk about the roots of where a lot of especially horror stories are rooted in older pagan symbols that have been taken and changed into something to be scary. Mm. So paganism is typically in uh, the real world about being out in nature and being on the ground and being connected to it. So a lot of folks within the pagan community have even expressed to me some hesitance about bringing 
paganism into the metaverse and into a digital world because they they think it's counterintuitive and mm -hmm. i understand that viewpoint but i don't share it because i think that our gods are present with us now they're not with us in the past you know i i respect tradition and doing things for tradition but now we're able to be connected through this technology and we might as well use it and i and i i don't think that uh the gods have any problem with that uh, it's just yeah. another tool at our disposal yeah that makes sense um well that's that's really great so so i'm curious you know we usually end uh the show here by talking about the future so where you think this is headed and then where your group will be headed or what's next for you so so I guess you just sort of really, you, you really talked about it right there, where it's just, this is sort of the fusion of the old and the new. It's taking, uh, it's taking sort of time-tested tradition, but then uh, modernizing them in a new setting. Um, but you're right. I, I don't think, it, it, it doesn't seem like you need to have, you know, you need to get your hands dirty in the dirt in order to feel the spiritual practices that you're talking about when you can create a virtual Stonehenge and have a virtual uh, ritual or something like that. And it's almost the essence of it that comes through. Is that what you would say? or would you? Say I'm not suggesting replacing that, you know, feet in the dirt practice with okay. being solely in the metaverse, but I don't think that it is harmful in addition to that. Uh, I think, you know, it's, again, it's another tool for us if, if, you know, it's helpful to have a spiritual community and people of all different religions can relate to that. That's why we have churches and temples and so on to begin with, is that we have other people here that will support us. So for a lot of us, you know, we have quite a few members now that are like, I live in the middle of nowhere, Iowa, or I live, you know, somewhere where I'm the only pagan person that I know. And it's it's a way for, for them to get in contact with other people. And I also think that if we're talking about the future, I think the future of religion in general and culture in general is going to be a lot more integrated into the metaverse. And, and pagans aren't the only people to take advantage of that. I mean, you can go in alt space any old day and there's several churches that are having events here, you know, that's great. I'm, I'm glad they have that. I'm glad that they have their space, you know, and we have ours too. Um, I just think over time, especially millennials and Gen Z's, we don't really, um, we're not members of traditional churches in the numbers that our parents were, and certainly not in the numbers that our grandparents were. I think it was just recently there was a Gallup poll that said less than half of the country is a member of some sort of religious organization, you know, a church or a synagogue or what have you. Um, so I think a lot of spirituality moving forward is going to look like this because this is the world that we're going to be living in. And I, as a pagan, believe that that development, that change, that's something that paganism is has always provided for and will continue to do that. Just like how I described earlier of how the belief around gods changed as people went from being hunter gatherers to being settled in civilizations that our 
views on life are going to change as we develop. And I think that paganism will continue to do that as it has always done. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and so if there are any uh, pagans out there listening on our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or seeing us on YouTube a, a month from now or whatever, how could they get in touch with you in order to potentially join your group or to come to one of your rituals or even one of your DJ parties on the, the full moon? <laughs> so the easiest way uh, is to go to our group on Alt VR, Alt Space VR. Uh, we're Pagans in VR. It's just altvr.com slash Pagans in VR. You can find our Discord there um, and just join our Discord. That's the best way to communicate with us. We do events in alt space regularly. Occasionally, we do events in VR chat as well. We tried to branch over there into the other parts of the metaverse. But right now, alt space seems to be the one that provides for us best. So most of our events are done in alt space. But if you check out, like I said, our page on Altspace, you'll find the Discord. All the events are there. And the conversation's going 24-7. Everybody's talking. There's a If you're somebody who's learning, no matter what your tradition is, if you're trying to find more resources, it's a good place to check. We have a book list. Everybody suggests books to read if you're learning. You can find people of your tradition. That's that's what we're here for. We're here to be a resource to the pagan community. Great. Well, uh, well, that was really a uh, great trip. I'm so glad you could make it. And thank you for, for coming and, and telling us all about what you're into. It's really oh, thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for teleporting into this world cast of Civilization, whether you're with us in virtual reality, listening to the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or watching in Glorious Technicolor on YouTube at The Simulation Nation. Remember to subscribe to our Instagram at The Simulation Nation, Twitter at SimNationVR, our Discord server as well. Uh, then join us next time for Technology Anxiety with Mifon.com. Till then, stay plugged, my friends. <laughs>